بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم بارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يتع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وبعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله تعالى وخير الهدى هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار My brothers, my sisters in Islam Malaysia today is one of 57 Muslim countries in the world and one of only 47 out of 57 Muslim countries that has no war. 10 out of 57 Muslim countries right now are embroiled in some type of war. Civil war or some type of external war or some type of musibah or some fasad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed Malaysia to even have a man at the age of 94 to come back from retirement to try to rid it of its problems. Malaysia has not seen any huge problems yet. No bird flu, no animal diseases, no wars yet. Malaysia still, the price of chicken and rice is what I used to buy seven years ago when I first came here. It's still one ring at 50 to buy a Coke. It's still cheap to have meat. And even a taxi driver can afford to buy a phone, a smartphone, and still live in a respectful manner, and still have a lifestyle that is worthy of 60 or 70 years old. We are blessed, Wallahi, in Malaysia. We are so blessed. And that is perhaps the reason why I find you all asleep. That is the reason why we are all asleep here in Malaysia. We like to sleep so long. We are asleep, brothers and sisters, in this country, despite the fact that we are so blessed. Malaysia today is a country of people of sleeping giants. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed this country like no other country I've seen, and I work in over 14 countries worldwide now, but yet I see a people that are asleep, children in the bodies of giants, children in the bodies of men, because they have yet to awaken to the responsibility that Allah has given them. They have yet to awaken to the truth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask them about every na'im that Allah has given them. Straight away Allah says, Wal-Asr, the very next surah, Wal-Asr. Meaning time. The first na'im that we'll be asked about is the time of peace and security that Allah has given us in this country. The blessings of wealth that Allah has blessed us with. Wallahi, with a small amount of money, we can all live so well and happily in this country. No fear. 
no poverty, nothing except to worry about where our food and health will come from. What a blessed country to live in. What an amazing country. Last year, Malaysia was ranked number two in the world to retire. Number one is Ecuador. Who wants to go to Ecuador? Everyone wants to come to the melting pot. 28 million tourists come to your country to live, to, to travel and to enjoy every single year. And yet we find today our Muslim brothers and sisters not taking advantage. We find the economy in the hands of non-Muslims, not in the hands of Muslims. 55% are Malay Muslims, yet they control less than 5% of the economy. And had it not been for the government policies, Bank Mara that gives loans to even bankrupt people, had it not been for this, we would not even have 5%. You know why? Because we are asleep. Because we are not waking up to what Allah wants from us. Allah Rabbul Alameen in this Quran, in the same book that we all read, in the same book that we all read, He did not create us to be slaves. He created Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to be the leader of mankind. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. Ibn Abbas said in the tafsir of this verse, the best of mankind created to lead the rest of mankind. We were not created to be servants and slaves and followers of others. We were created to be lords and leaders. And when lords and leaders don't behave like lords and leaders, they become cowards and monkeys. They are not worthy. And that is why Allah takes izzah and honor away. Before that happens, let's realize our responsibility. It is our responsibility to be example to the rest of the world. It is not enough to simply lead your life just paying for your own food, for your own living, for your own income. You have to live for others. You have to live for others. Your life Allah has given you something special. Ask the Syrian refugees, the hundred thousands of Syrian refugees in Ampang, ask them their life. Ask the Sudanese refugees what life they led. Ask the Burmese Rohingya refugees and they are down the road. Ask them the life that they led, subhanAllah. Before Allah takes His blessings away, before Allah puts war and musibah on this country, takes our ni'mah away, before that happens, before that happens, let's wake up to our responsibility. My brothers and sisters in the Quran, Allah Rabbul Alameen always tells us to be the first, always tells us to compete. And so and so that I become the first of the believers. The first of the believers. What does Allah say in the Quran? For the example of the paradise, let the competitors compete. Not all you Arabs in the, in the audience, what does Sari'u mean? It means compete with one another. 
Sara'a is he spent. Sara'a is he spent in competition. Sari'u compete with one another. Allah wants us to speed. Allah wants us to compete. Allah wants us to be the first. Rijalun la tulhihim tijaratun wala bay'un an dhikrillahi wa iqamis salati wa ita'i zakah. Men, Allah says, men, those who are not afraid, those who commerce and trade does not take them away from Allah establishing the prayers and giving the zakat and in fighting in the cause of Allah. And Allah tells us, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا from mankind and those that have taken other gods other than Allah. They love them as they should love Allah. And those who believe are more serious in their love for Allah. That means we're not believers. That means the typical Malay is not a believer. Not a believer, just a Muslim. I'll tell you why. Because look at these evangelical Christians. He is a engineer, he's a doctor, he will leave his cushy life in America and go to the deepest parts of Africa to translate the Bible. Look at how much he loves his God, Jesus Christ. He loves him so much that he'll give up his cushy American life and his beautiful house on the prairie and he will go to the deepest parts of Africa to translate a Bible in a language that's forgotten. He will do it because of his love for Jesus Christ. But Allah says, Those who believe are more severe in the love of Allah. That means we don't love Allah enough, then we cannot be believers. We're just Muslimun, not Mu'minun as yet. You want to become Mu'minun? Where is your dalil? Where is your evidence? Why do we need a 94-year-old man to come back to leave the country? What happened to the rest? What happened to the rest of us? Why do we need this? It's because the youth are asleep. And when the youth wake up, Islam will shine. We have a history to prove that. How old was Ibrahim when he broke the idols? We heard a young boy mentioning the idols. His name was Ibrahim. A kid, a kid, he broke the idols. He taught his people. Fata. وَجَاءَ مِنْ أَقْصَى الْمَدِينَةِ رَجُلٌ يَسْعَى قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اتَّبِعُ الْمُرْسَلِينَ In Surah Yaseen, when Allah sent those three people to the town, one man came running down. Who was he? A young boy. What about the sleepers of the cave? How old were they? Fata, kids. How old was Sultan Muhammad al-Fatih when he conquered Constantinople? 800 years Muslim could not beat Constantinople at the age of 10 years old. At the age of 10 years old, he heard the hadith of the Prophet what a beautiful man will be the one who conquers Constantinople. What an amazing army. And he said, I will be that person. At the age of 17, he vindicated his throne because he was too young. At the age of 19, he took over his throne. And at the age of 21, he conquered Constantinople. 21! When the youth come back to Islam, Islam will win. How old was the conquerors of India? 
Muhammad bin Al-Qasim was 16 years old when he conquered Afghanistan. 16 years old. Why do you give the excuse, I'm not old enough? Or I'm not wealthy enough? I'm not knowledgeable enough? I don't have a PhD enough. Enough of PhDs. I had enough of it. I'm a doctor too. And I've also studied in Islam. Enough of studies. It's time for action. It's time for action and that's why the Arabs, the smart Arabs of the desert, they showed the relationship of Amal and Ilm. They use the same three, three letter words. Ilm, Ayn, Lam, Mim. Amal, Ayn, Mim, Lam. Because that's exactly what action is. As soon as you have knowledge, you must implement it. And that's why the ulama discuss what is the definition of an alim. Some said an alim is someone who has more knowledge than he has ignorance. Others said anyone who the ulama say that's an alim, that's an alim. Ibn al-Qayyim says the best definition of alim is the one who acts upon the knowledge that he has. The one who acts upon the knowledge that he has. That's an alim. Let's become ulama. Let's become people of action. Let's become people who act upon it lest we become from the Yahud. Those who carry the donkeys that carry books on their backs, it does not benefit them in anything at all. Nothing it benefits them except for the difficulty. My brothers and my sisters of Islam, when we think we want to do something for Allah, the first thing that troubles us are three questions. And I want to talk to you about these three questions, three doubts, three ponies, three problems that we all face. I faced it too until I learned how to overcome it. Three questions that stop us from doing something for the sake of Allah. First question is, I don't know what to do. It's so difficult, so many problems, so many issues. What do I do? It's a bit like you go to the shopping center and you want to buy marmalade, cheese spread, or chocolate spread, and you go to Jaya, and you find 50 types of spread, you don't know which one to buy. You're confused. Too many options, too many problems. What do I do? I want to tell you about Tufail ibn Amr al-Dusi, a great Sahabi, who came to Makkah when the propaganda machine was at its height. When everyone said Muhammad Sallallahu is either a magician or he is mad. So they said, Tufail, don't listen, don't listen. So he would walk around near the Kaaba with his fingers in his ears. Until one day he woke up and he said, I'm a smart guy. If he's talking nonsense, I'll know it's nonsense. Let me hear what he's saying. So the Prophet Sallallahu word touched his heart and he accepted Islam. He only stay, spent only a few days with the Prophet Only a handful of days, they said not even 10 days. And what did he do? After schooling in only 10 days by Allah, we know more than him. We know more about Islamic finance in this institute than him. We know more about Islamic aqidah and fiqh than him. But look at what he did for Allah, which is why his value is far greater than ours, even though our knowledge is higher. What did he do? He went back to his people, and he spread Islam, and then he died soon after. But from his hand, one man accepted Islam. His name was Abu Huraira ad-Dusi. 
who is the greatest preserver of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All of this because Tufail ibn Amr al-Dusi never said, I don't know what to do. He just said, oh Allah, guide my heart. I'm going to call people to Islam and you guide me, Ya Rab. I don't know you know. I don't know how you know. You can see, I can't, Ya Rab. So leave that to Allah. Leave the how to Allah. Leave the how to Allah. How are we going to do it? Where is the money going to come from? Where is the people going to come from? I don't have enough knowledge. I don't know what to do. Leave that to Allah. Leave that to Allah. One of the greatest prophets of Islam couldn't even speak properly. Musa salam. He left it to Allah. He said he couldn't even speak without stuttering. How was he now going to convince the guy who thought he was the king of the worlds? He left it to Allah. Leave things to Allah. Leave it to Allah. And you will watch how Allah does it for you. And that is the purpose of Islamic belief in tawakkul, is that you trust Allah will do it for you. Just like Maryam والسلام, shook the tree when she was delivering a baby. How could a woman in that point actually have dates coming down when she is so much in pain? It's Allah who brought the dates down. Just like Ayyub والسلام, when he complained to Allah, he said, Inni masaniya In a state of disease, Allah told him, hit with this leg of yours on the ground and a spring will come forth. How much energy does a diseased man have? Nothing. He can't even remove the dirt on the ground, much less to crack the ground. But this is the principle of tawakkul. Strike and Allah will crack. Do and Allah will spread. Just like Ibrahim salam. Go and listen to my call. Call upon me is the balaf. And now, Billions and from millions of people doing Hajj every year. My brothers and sisters in Islam, don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Don't wait. And there's no need to think, how am I going to do this? Do what Umar did, anhu. One day for the dunya, one day for the akhirah. Wallahi, the one day will be enough for you. One day for the dunya, one day for the akhirah. One day for business, one day for da'wah. Everyone should do that. Don't just say my money, I'll put my money in. That's not enough. I remember my Shaykh, may Allah have mercy upon him. I was with him one day. Shaykh Shanqiti, hafidhullah, and a man came with a bundle of money, 500,000 Saudi riyals. He pushed it to him, he was a developer, property developer. I said, Shaykh, take this and use it for Islamic cause. So the Shaykh said in front of me, he said, you know what, thank you for the money, but I really need you for a project that we're doing because you're a property developer, I need your advice in something. So he goes, Wallahi mashghul. Typical Saudi answer. Wallah mashghul, wallah mustajin. So what did the Shaykh do? He pushed the money back. He pushed the money back and he said, give Allah that which you value. Give Allah that which you value. If you're a businessman and you can give 500,000 away, you should be giving your time, not your money, because you know how to make 500,000. You should be giving your time. And that's why I give my time, because my time is more valuable than my money. 
So give Allah time. Give Allah time. One day for the dunya, one day for the akhirah. Fantastic. Both your wives will be happy. Both your wives of the dunya and the akhirah will be happy. But you gotta give Allah time. That's the first problem we have. I don't know what to do. Start. Wherever it is. That's number one. The second problem that we have, the second problem in our minds is I'm confused about exactly where to start. I don't see a problem, I don't see a solution. I want to tell you about a story of an of a, of a alim, of a sahabi by the name of Mu'ayn, Nu'ayn ibn Mas'ud. A sahabi that accepted Islam in the time of the Battle of Khandaq. When fear was at its height, only one man accepted Islam, Nu'aym bin Mas'ud. A kafir all, the, all this time until on one of the days, 25 days that war lasted, on one of the days, on the 23rd day, Nu'aym bin Mas'ud accepts Islam. He comes to the Prophet and he says, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illa Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah. And so what happens? He says to Rasulullah no schooling, no education, no tarbiyah, nothing. He says, what should I do? So the Prophet said, Ya Nu'aym, Al-Harbu Khida' Al-Harbu Khida' Verily war is deception, war is deception. And so Nu'aym heard that hadith and he knew what to do. He was well known to the Jews and he was well known to the Quraysh. So he went to the Jews and he said, Hey Jews, you know we are brothers, right? We are like real buddies, right? Yep. You know those Quraysh, wallah man, don't trust them. They even threw out their brother Muhammad sallallahu What do you think they'll do to you? So tomorrow, ask the Quraysh for a hundred soldiers from them to fight on your side. And if they agree, then you'll know that they trust you. And he went to the Quraysh and he said the same thing. Wallah, those Jews. See what they did? Look at history. Replete with problems with the Jews. So ask for a hundred Jewish soldiers to fight on your side, to defend your side, and see if they listen. So they both met together in the morning, and the Quraysh asked for a hundred, and the Jews asked for a hundred, and they both said, oh my God, they don't trust each other. So Allah sowed the seeds of rancor, and discord, and disharmony, and distrust amongst the confederates. Their hearts were divided. They didn't trust each other. They thought now there were not only one enemy, there's now two enemies, Muhammad and now the opposing party that's meant to be on our side. And then Allah sent the rain, and Allah sent the hail and the wind, until everything was destroyed and they went back. And they could not ever come against Islam anymore. He never waited. He never asked. He just knew what to do. He looked at his own skills. He studied what I could do to help Islam. Each and every one of us has a purpose. Wallahi, this has a purpose. My cap has a purpose. My pen has a purpose. My phone has a purpose. My wife has a purpose. My shirt has a purpose. My car has a purpose. But me, the owner of it all, has no purpose? Are you foolish enough to think like that? You have a noble purpose. And our Prophet wasallam said in the authentic hadith in Bukhari, he said that Allah will have mercy on you as long as you follow your purpose. Allah has mercy on a man who knows his qadr. 
qadr can mean the limit the limited quantity of his ability and qadr can also mean the might of his ability so allah has mercy on the person who knows the strength of his ability it is why the great poet allama iqbal said in his poetry in pakistan in urdu he said an amazing verse he said people who don't know their purpose and their vision they're led by the qadr of allah wind blows them left they go left wind blows them right they go right but men of purpose and vision they are the qadr of allah on this earth they are the qadr of allah and that's why malcolm x was a qadr of allah that's why khalid the walid was a qadr of allah that's why Umar the khattab was a qadr of allah and that's why today even a playboy can become the qadr of allah in pakistan and today even a retired man can come back at the age of 94 and become the qadr of allah and what what about us who have time who have knowledge and who have ability alhamdulillah the third situation third question that that ponders in our mind is i have too many sins i'm not the chosen one and that used to hit me how can i be the one why should god choose me i have so many things one life you knew what i have done i can't help allah allah will never choose me how can i become the wali of allah or helper of allah i have so many bad things i've done i've done this i've done that everyone knows mankind is ever a witness over himself even if he gives excuses we know what we have done so we think we are not the right people for the job so I want to tell you about a Sahabi by the name, and he was, there's differences whether he was a Sahabi or a Tabi'i. Abi Mihjan al-Thaqafi, rahimahullah. And Abi Mihjan al-Thaqafi was a man who loved to drink alcohol. He was well known he was a drunk. So much so he was caught drinking alcohol, he was lashed many times. In the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. And then Umar radiallahu anhu said, prepare an army for Qadisiyah. One of the greatest battles against the greatest army ever alive at that time, the Persian army. Led by Mahmud. Led by Rustum Mahmud. And so what happened? 210,000 soldiers went to fight all of these people in Qadisiyah. And amongst them, this man desperately wanting to be one of the soldiers. And of course, Sa'ad Abu Waqqas say, no way am I going to accept someone who does a kabira. Someone who does a major sin, I will never accept him. But he insisted on going. He said, even if you tie me up, then take me. So they tied him up as a prisoner and they took him as a prisoner. But Abi Mihjan al-Thaqafi was well known to be a valiant warrior. He loved to fight in the cause of Allah, except he had this filthy sin of drinking all the time. He loved alcohol too much. So they tied him up and the war started. And Sa'ad Abi Waqqas was afflicted with bawasir, with hemorrhoids, and he could not fight in the war. So sick was he that he actually led the war from on an encampment above on a mountain or like a hill area overlooking the plains of Qadisiyah. And so the war started on day one. And the wife of Sa'ad Abi Waqqas would come to look after Sa'ad Abi Waqqas and tend to him. While Sa'ad Abi Waqqas was leading the battle and telling the Muslim soldiers, go here, go there. And Abi Mihjan al-Thaqafi kept on begging the wife of Sa'ad, 
let me go, let me go, please let me go and let me fight. So what happened is she felt sorry for him, untied him. He couldn't find a sword, he couldn't find a sword, he couldn't find a shield, he couldn't find a warring horse except for the warring horse and the shield and weapons of Saad. So he would wear the weapons of Saad, cover his face up, go into battle pretending to be Saad. And all the soldiers thought, wow, our leader, despite his sickness, has come to battle. They would be valiant every day. Every day, Saad Wabi Waqqas, they thought, was in battle when he was actually only in his camp. So every day, Abi Mihjan al-Thaqafi, pretending to be Saad, would fight with blood on his body, killing many of the enemies, coming back every day quickly washing everything off and then telling his wife, tie me back up, tie me back up. And when Saad would come out, they would see the Abi Mihjan is tied up. Are you still there? He's still there. And this man had just gone and fought and defended Islam. On the last day, 25 days of battle, on the last day, Allah gave them victory at Dhuhr time. Rustum was killed at Dhuhr time and everything disintegrated. The army gave up. They surrendered at Dhuhr. Normally war goes all the way till sunset. But at Dhuhr time, and by the time that Abi Mihjan came back, Sa'ad came out, came out of his hut. He couldn't find his sword. He couldn't find his shield. He couldn't find his horse. And lo and behold comes Abi Mihjan al-Thaqafi. Was it you all this time? Wallahi, it was me. And so Sa'ad said, Wallahi, I swear by Allah, I will never tie you up again. And Abi Mihjan said, Wallahi, I'll never drink again. My brothers and sisters in Islam, don't let your past sins anchor you down. Don't let your past sins anchor you down. It didn't anchor Imran Khan. It shouldn't anchor you. The past is the past. The present is now. That's why it's called the present. Take advantage of it now. Have you ever driven the car looking into the rear view window? You will eventually crash your car. Drive looking forward, not at the rear view window. Only take a glance once in a while. So you remember what you have to make tawbah for and how weak you are and how Allah guided you. But don't drive your car looking at the rear view window. Drive your car looking forward. And that's why, that's why, Ibn al-Qayyim says in his Nuniya, Wallahi, ma akhsha al-dhunuba, fa innaha la ala sabeel al-afwi wal-ghufrani, walakin innama akhsha inqilabu hadha al-qalbi an al-wahi wal-Qur'ani. Do you know what he said? He said, Wallahi, what a beautiful poetry that is. He said, Wallahi, I don't fear my past sins, for indeed I have repented to Allah. And it is upon the path of forgiveness. When Allah loves to forgive, He is Al-Ghafur Al-Rahim, Al-Wadud. He will forgive. He will forgive. Be firm in your mind, He will forgive. Even if it is like the number of foam on, on the ocean, He will forgive. What I really fear, however, He continues and He says, what I really fear is my future deeds, my next deed that my next deed will fail to be upon the hidayah of the Qur'an and upon revelation. And that will be my final fate upon which my rest of my deeds will be judged. 
So he is afraid of the future, not of the past. And that is the right way to be. So liberate yourselves from the sins of the past. Look forward because you have Allah Al-Ghafoorul Rahim with you. And that's why righteous people, despite us being in sin, a day will come when we will come back to roost into our place. We will come back to what we were really meant for. Ubudiyah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be lords and leaders over the rest of mankind and not slaves over them. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa lisayil muslimin min kulli dhambin fa astaghfiruh inna huwa al-ghafur rahim. Bismillah, alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi man walah. My brothers, my sisters in Islam, I want to finish off by reminding you all that this is Friday and it's the day of making dua upon the Prophet And the way I remind myself about Fridays and about Muhammad is what my Shaykh told me once. It's so important to have good murabbis around you and Allah bless me with good murabbis. So I remember once we were sitting with our Shaykh and having food. And one of the students, he said, Shaykh, sif lana jannah. He said, oh, Shaykh, why don't you describe to us jannah? Do you know what he said? He said, al jannah, paradise, fiha Rasulullah. Ya salam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Paradise, in it, is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahu Akbar. ثم أعلم أيها المسلمون أن الله أمركم في القرآن الكريم قائلا جل جلال وتقدست أسماؤه إن الله ملائكة يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم اغفر المسلمين والمسلمات المؤمنين والمؤمنات الأحياء منهم والأموات عباد الله إن الله يأمر بالعد والإحسان وإيتاء القرب ويبحث فحشاء المنكر والبغي يعدكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكر الله العظيم الجليل كركم ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون في مصر.